our new bestie has changed how we track our investments. Why have over 400,000 investors chosen ShareSite? It's simple. This online investment dashboard for your investment portfolio supports over 500,000 stocks, ETFs, and funds, plus integrated with more than 200 platforms, ensures your entire investment portfolio is organized and accessible in one place. Move beyond the limited insights from brokerage statements. ShareSite offers a comprehensive view of your financial performance, including analyzed reports, dividend gains, and the impact of currency fluctuations, all through intuitive graphs and visualizations. But here's the best part. For the investee besties out there, ShareSite is offering a special deal. Save four months when you purchase an annual premium plan. It's time to dive deep into performance metrics, streamline tax reporting, and share your portfolio with ease. Join the link in the episode description to sign up to ShareSite now and transform your investment experience. Welcome to Girls That Invest. You're joined today by your hosts, Sim and Sonia, two millennial investors who are here to help you learn about all things investing and personal finance. Hi, Sim. Hey, Sonia. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I feel like last week we really spoke about, you know, me just being super cheesy about the leaves falling and changing color this fall and autumn. Fall And autumn. It's just for the south, like for the girlies in the northern and the southern hemisphere. Yeah, I talk to everyone that's listening around the entire world, not just my North American people, you know? Thank you for including us. It's okay. But anywho, what I meant to say was we talked about me last week. Let's talk about you. Oh, it's just like a like a one week your thing, one week my thing now. I think it's best that we do it that way. Well, I actually do have something to say. So before I left America, I made a quick decision and I went and I bought some Skims underwear. And I also bought a Skims nightgown. And this was my treat for the tour because when would I otherwise spend 16 US dollars on a pair of undies? Like that is outrageous. It has been so good. Is that expensive? $16 USD. One six. One six. That is a lot of money. I usually get like the four packs for $10 New Zealand. Oh, it was for one. Yeah, it was one. Okay, 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 okay. I'm with you. That is that is expensive. Yes. Thank you. I was like, damn, she's bougie. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's 16? Is that expensive for underwear? Anyway, so Victoria's Secret could never, first of all. So I go out and I am like, okay, let's give this a go. I just bought three because I wasn't too sure. I wanted to give them a fair go and I tried a few because they're hard to get in New Zealand. You have to like, you know, get them shipped. I have loved them so much. I am now going back and buying more, which is outrageous to me because I have always been like five pack of underwear for $10 kind of girl my whole life. This has unfortunately changed me. If I can find dupes that are slightly cheaper, that might be better, but I'm intrigued. Anyway, moving on, I want to speak about the introduction for today's episode, which is how to live off your investments. Because a lot of times people want to know, well, okay, I'm investing, but there are some people out there that are no longer investing any more than they have to because they are literally living off the money that they have made through investing in the stock market, through real estate. So we're going to cover all of these and we're going to make sure that you understand how they did it so you can pick and choose the one that suits you. 
there was a graph that I saw that changed my life. So imagine a graph that like starts and it goes upwards, like one half of a triangle, but then it goes down like the other half of a triangle. And that was, you know, the first part of your life, you work hard to save. And then in retirement, you're using that money to live off for the rest of your life. But that money eventually drops down. That's what happens when you save for retirement. But when you invest for retirement, imagine a graph going upwards where you're saving, 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 and then that line plateaus and stays constant for the rest of your life. That's what happens when you invest for retirement. You live off that money and it doesn't drop. It doesn't drain. You're not like, oh no, I'm losing money every single day. I hope I don't live too long and run out of money because that's a very scary place to be. Now, we're also in a generation where people don't really want to work as long and work as hard because there's no incentive to. It's harder to buy a home. It's harder to, you know, go out on holiday. It's harder to do things with our money than we were able to do in the past. And we're starting to see things like quiet quitting. We're starting to see things where only 11% of today's workers in the US even plan to retire before 60 because it does not seem like something that's within their scope. I just want to ask you, Sonia, before we get into it, is retiring early like something that you want to do? I think everyone would be lying if they said no in terms of, yeah, I do want to work until I'm like 65 or 70. I don't want to do that. I would love to be in a position to retire early, but not in a way where I feel like I'm going to stop working. I think just to be in a position where I can live a little bit more freely in terms of the decisions that I make, in terms of travel, in terms of, you know, picking meaningful projects and the work that I do get to do. I think for me, retirement doesn't equal not working in my perspective, in terms of how early? (laughs) Well, I think that's a good question. I think, you know, if you asked me this question like a year ago or like two years ago, I would want to retire by like 30. And now I'm 26 and I'm like, oh, honey, like (laughs) not 30. I want to retire as soon as possible, but that to me is not like, I want to stop working. It's the exact same as you. Like, I want to be able to say, hey, I'm working, but this is because I want to, not because I have to. I will probably do girls that invest until I'm 70, like realistically, but that will be because it is something I enjoy and I love it. And I wake up every day and I'm like, I get to do this as a job. Like this is so fun to me, but I would like to know that if something happened to me, if I lost my voice, if I, you know, X, Y, Z happened and I needed to like step away for a bit that I had my investments that were taking care of me and acting as a form of insurance to my income forever, as opposed to, yeah, quitting living off my retirements and kind of like, you know, just going through life because realistically, that's just not what I enjoy. But in saying that, Sonia, let's go through the first way that you can live off your investments. What are they? Yes. So the first way that we want to talk about is FIRE. And we've done a whole episode on this as well. It's quite good. But FIRE stands for Financial Independence Retire Early. And it was actually born out of one of our favorite money books and an episode that we have also done, which is Your Money or your life. Essentially with FIRE, there's I guess like four concepts that are explored within them. So we'll go through them quickly. One is the 4% rule, 
The next is frugality, saving 50 to 70% of your income, and then passive investing. So the 4% rule is essentially that typically people who follow FIRE or who, who achieve FIRE, they withdraw about 3 to 4% of their savings every year to cover living expenses within retirement. It blows my mind that you can live off 4% of how much you have for the rest of your life. Like that is the craziest thing to me. Mind you, it does mean you need to save up a lot. Like if you want to live off $100,000 a year, that's like what, two mil invested, but it's an option and Mm. it just, it's so good. I love it. Yeah. Also, you're right. Like if you want to draw out 100K, it is probably about 2 mil invested. That number can be way lower to you. It's just deciding on what kind of life you want to lead and how how you want to live. There are people that achieve that 3 to 4%, I guess, withdrawal and they haven't invested nearly as much. They're happy with living 20K a year. You know, they've got a vegetable garden. The second concept of fire is frugality. So frugality is spending as little money as possible and you're finding ways to make things last longer and you're finding cheaper alternatives to things. Frugality is interesting because I think we both experienced this. One, when I was going through my low buy year, two, when you were experiencing um, saving up for your first home. How was your experience with frugality? I loved it so much, but I guess it was because it was a choice as opposed to something that I had to do. I think mm-hmm. when you're frugal by choice, you enjoy it because it's like, oh, like I can always go back to spending if I want to. But if you're frugal because you have to be, I think that's like, feels more like a punishment. I feel like in the past when we talked about frugality, again, just gamifying everything really helps, like finding the cheaper alternatives to things, figuring out what the cheapest grocery store is, like figuring out that you can live without particular luxuries that are costing you like an arm and leg and people who want to achieve fire they might do this for a particular time now the examples that i have seen in terms of people achieving fire they have been but super drastic with the frugality side of things to be honest people who are trying to achieve fire the certain time frame that they have, maybe it's five years, maybe it's 10 years, those five to 10 years while they're trying to achieve fire might look a little bit different than the norm because they're trying to, you know, get out of the rat race, go live in the countryside. The third concept of fire is saving about 50 to 70% of your paycheck. Now that seems pretty drastic and in my opinion if you are trying to retire by 30 or your early 40s again it may require drastic actions for a certain period of time but saving 50 to 70 percent of your income is exactly how it sounds the less that you spend the more that you earn it will really help with this so you can follow a strict budget frugality obviously helps with this as well i love this because when it comes to fire and it comes to trying to retire early you've got to allocate your energy if you spend most of your time trying to stock pick and trying to choose the next best companies that is going to take away from time trying to do other things that you can help achieve fire 
earlier. So things like, hey, let's set up a budget. Hey, how do I be frugal? Hey, maybe I might get a second job or do something to help with other sources of income to reach fire early. But if I'm spending three hours or four hours a week trying to stock pick, that is not a great use of my time. And so Warren Buffett usually recommends that if you're trying to do this, you are better passively investing, which I guess is the strategy you and I kind of take as well. I'd like to say that I, you know, picked that strategy because I want to achieve fire and I have like these really hard set goals. The truth is, is I'm lazy and I also knew from the jump that I don't really want to touch my investments anytime soon. So I have a lot more time in the game because of my goals that I have or because of, I guess, the timeline that I've set in my head. Like I'm ideally not going to touch my investments until I'm in, well into my 30s, 40s, right? So that's where I was coming from with the strategy. And it worked out. And it worked out. And if I achieve fire, I will let you guys know. <laughs> did want to put it into a wee example for you lot to, to make it make better sense. Because I know we bantered quite a bit. <laughs> but if you, for example, make 80K per year, which is a lot of money, just say 20K of that 80K goes to taxes. It goes to loans. It goes to, I don't know your retirement fund that you automatically have set. So for example, KiwiSaver in New Zealand. Now you're living minimally, you're living frugally, you know, you're patching up your clothes when it tears, you're asking for socks for Christmas, you're doing the damn thing. You're also saving 50% of that income, which is 40K. So roughly you're saving about $3,333 per month. Is that doable? Absolutely. Is it easy? Absolutely not. I want to pause and I want to take a moment and acknowledge the privilege in all of this and to do this. You know, a lot of people lead different lifestyles. You have extra responsibilities. You're responsible for dependents who might not even be your own or you do have kids. Everyone has different life circumstances. And the thing with FIRE is that I think you can do it. It's just adjusting it to you, what's important to you, and really taking the time to carve out those numbers. And the great thing is, and I will go into this when I speak about dividends later on in the episode, usually you don't need to do the math for yourself in terms of how much you need to save. So if you know how much you want to withdraw every year, like the amount, then you can go onto a fire calculator. You can just you can Google literally fire calculator, put that amount in and it will do all the work for you in terms of how much you do need to save. So yeah, privilege check. Also, I think it's worth noting you don't have to live off fire completely. Like if you can't make enough into your investment accounts where you're living off $100,000 a year, you can still invest enough where you get $20,000 a year and you can work part-time. And so there's still ways of using FIRE to get what you want. It might not get you all of it, but it's still $20,000 more than you needed or had before. Another way to live off your investments is through dividends. So an investment strategy that you may have heard of is dividend investing. And there are people out there that just invest in dividend stocks. So we do have an episode of the top four dividend ETFs in 2022, if you want to check that epi out. So essentially dividend stocks provide two sources of return. One is regular income from dividend payments and then capital appreciation of the stock price. And that total return can add up over time. Again, 
you don't need to do any of this math yourself. There are calculators out there called dividend calculators, which shocking, groundbreaking, you know, what else would you call it? And I'd really like to take a moment to thank the universe for those creators. A particularly good dividend calculator is marketbeat.com. Would you ever solely invest in dividend stocks? I just feel like when I think of dividend stocks, it's like something that I would do later down the track. Like there's, like you've said, there's two ways of investing. There's like the appreciation and then there's the income. And at this stage in my life, I'm more interested in growing my capital. I'm growing the amount of money I have invested, the, like, I guess my net worth, if you wanted to call it that. But I'm not interested in using my investments to live off. I feel like that would be me later down the track. So not at this stage of my life. I'd rather focus on getting the investments that I need now so that maybe if I was interested in dividend investments, I could then transfer them over into dividend stocks and live off them. I do want to keep it real with you guys. There are a few cons with dividend investing and probably the main one is the dividend policy changing. So for example, a company deciding that they do not want to pay out dividends anymore. Like what do you do? Because they don't, they don't have to, have to do that, you know? They don't. And even if they're like, oh, we're a dividend aristocrat where we always pay our dividends, you know how there's some companies out there that will like are known to pay. If they don't, like they're not in trouble. That's just them being like, sorry, what are you going to do about it? They could literally like one year just have the energy of never let them know your next move and be like, surprise, we're not paying out this year. They could have a new CEO and be like, I don't want to do that. But what are some other ways that people can live off their investments? Well, one of them is real estate. And I think in countries like Australia and New Zealand, they're probably the most common way that people live off their investments. The stock market is not as incentivized as the real estate market is down under in these kind of countries. And in saying that, in New Zealand especially, there is no capital gains tax. So if anything, you're more inclined to invest in real estate, which, I mean, has been like a political debate for years and years and years. And I don't know if we'll ever see capital gains tax in New Zealand. But the way that people will live off rental income, I remember when I was younger, I was like plugging into a calculator. Like if I bought a home, how much would my mortgage be? And let's say it was like $500 a week. And I was like, how much is the rent in that area? And it was like, $490 a week. And I was like, wait, how are people living off rental incomes when the rent usually costs just as much or sometimes lower than what the mortgage is? Like you're losing money. But basically, long story short, what people do is it's kind of, it's done in two phases. So the first phase is growing your capital. So you might buy four homes and two homes are solely for the fact they're in areas where the housing market is going to go up quite significantly. So your big towns, your big cities, not the city centers maybe, but like the standalone homes that are close to the city center. So you buy two of those if you can. And they go up in value a lot, but the rent and the mortgage might just break even or you might be topping it up. For business owners, every transaction is more than just a swipe of the card. It's the culmination of your hard work, dedication, and commitment to your customers. That's why I'm excited to share with you a game-changing solution that's simplifying the way businesses like yours accept payments. Introducing Tap to Pay on iPhone, powered by Stripe. 
Contactless payments has never been easier. You can seamlessly accept contactless payments directly from your iPhone and the best part, there's no additional hardware required. Think about it, from local pop-ups to global retailers, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe cater to businesses of all sizes, empowering them to accept payments right from their iPhones. It's a game changer for businesses looking to scale quickly and stay flexible, with quick setup that takes minutes, not days. So, how can Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe benefit your business? It's simple, increased revenue, expanded reach and enhanced customer experience. It's a win-win-win. To learn more about how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can transform your business, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone today. Whether mortgage is $500 a month or week, but the rent is $450 a week and you're topping up $50. So you're paying for that home. You're losing money on it, but you're playing the long game and you're doing that for five, 10 years. And you also buy two other homes. I mean, where do you have the money to do this? I don't know but this is how people do it. You then buy two other homes that are high yielding homes. So this means homes where the amount of rent that comes in is much greater than the mortgage of the home. They're the cheap homes, you could say, but the rent is high. And this is usually in lower socioeconomic areas. So you can already see the like ethical dilemma with this, but I'm not here to tell you that it's right or wrong. I'm here to share how it works and, and let you decide, you know, if it's something that you want to do. So you've got four homes. Two of them are just for the value of the home to go up and two of them give good rent. After 10 years, you sell the first two because they've been sold at a much higher price. You know, you bought them for $500,000. They're worth a million dollars each now. And the money that you've made from those two, you then put to pay off the rest of the mortgage in your last two. And suddenly you have two homes that have the mortgage paid off and they have high rent. It may be like $700 a week in rent each. And now you've got $1,400 every single week coming in to live off for the rest of your life. There's a few ways to do it. One is obviously family <laughs> wealth. Um, the other is if you start off with one, if you do it up a little bit, you can then say, hey, to the bank, like the value of this house is higher. Can I use the equity to buy the next one? And then you do up the next one. And then and other people will do like the the flipping method where they'll buy a rundown home, do it up and then just sell it off. So there's a few ways to do it and I've seen people do it and it works out for them. I know someone whose family makes six figures in rental income alone. And so it works for certain groups of people, but it is very time consuming, very risky. The market is coming down right now. So if this was something that you're interested in, it's probably the time to do it You know, soon because these are the cheaper prices compared to a year ago or even two years ago, then there's also the ethical dilemma. And I will never say that you are a bad person for owning multiple properties. Like that is not me. I will probably own more than one property, I imagine, over my lifetime. But I just think you've got to be mindful that it's not always the best strategy depending on where you stand. Do you see yourself doing something like this? Like can you imagine yourself using rental income as part of your overall like wealth journey? To be honest, no. I think we've all heard my woe is me decision making as to why I don't own a home yet. And I've talked about that a little bit on our social media on previous episodes. So I can't even fathom owning more than one property at this stage of my life. But I genuinely just don't think that is a path that I will take in this lifetime. But I agree with you in terms of 
so many different ways that you can acquire wealth and we're not really here to talk about the ethics of it today. Maybe we can expand on that in a later episode. Oh, I would love to talk about it in a later episode. Anything that is like financially controversial, like I will be there. Now, the last way that people have themselves retiring early is one that isn't spoken about a lot and we've never actually done an episode on this topic and it is having a business acquired. So you guys may have heard of Kayla Fitness. She was someone that recently sold her fitness app called Sweat and it was acquired by iFit for $300 million. That is a crazy amount of money. Now, her and her co-founder were partners, broke up, but when you still have your business acquired, it is often a huge cash injection as well as being able to negotiate a deal where you are giving them your IP. So their ability to say, hey, well, my name is Kayla and this is my company, Sweat, and to use the name of myself and my company's name and the assets that are associated, you have to rent that off me for the rest of my life or rent that off me from my estate. So even when I pass away, my children will still benefit from it. And so you can have these kind of situations where either you rent out your IP, your intellectual property, or you say, yep, you can buy my company but I would love to still be a creative director on it where I turn up, you know, once a week and kind of share my opinions and views. And that's put into the contract for like a six figure sum, you know, for the next 10 years. So not only do you get the cash injection to then go out and invest in real estate or invest in the stock market, you've also got some kind of investment money coming in from the company that's bought your company. Now, 2 million small businesses are set to be sold within the next decade and to get your company value, to know how much your company is worth if you are a business owner, it's often almost as simple. I mean, this is like a rough way of doing it, but take the revenue that you've made annually and times it by three. So for Kayla's fitness company, they're making around a hundred million every single year in revenue times it by three, 300 million for how much it was sold. This is a lot easier said than done and it's not for everyone and it's not the type of way that you know, maybe everyone would be interested in growing their wealth. But if you kind of find yourself somehow in the circles of people that are associated with Silicon Valley or people that are associated with tech startups, a lot of these people will start companies, grow them, and then have companies like Google or Amazon acquire them because these are big players and they would rather just take your company than do anything else. And it works out for a lot of people. And so they will literally start a company to have it bought out from them and they'll live off that money for the rest of their life. I feel like that really sums up the ways that you can live off investments forever. You've got fire, you've got dividends, you've got real estate, you've got businesses. At the end of the day, some are a lot easier than others and some might just appeal more to you. The first way, fire, is definitely the most, I don't want to say easiest, but definitely has the least barriers to entry to get started to invest in shares. It's a lot easier than buying the first property or starting up a million dollar company to sell but at the end of the day, it's just about finding what works for you and actually putting a plan in place and giving it a go. Now, if you want to hear a little bit more of Girls That Invest, if you're not sick of us yet, you can follow us on Instagram. You can check us out on Facebook. We've got our link to our newsletter below. And as always, to finish off with our disclaimer. 
Girls That Invest does not provide personalized investing advice for your individual needs. We are not financial advisors. The advice from Girls That Invest exists for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make an investment or financial decision. Advice from Girls That Invest is general in nature and does not consider individual circumstances. Always do your research and please use your due diligence. Alrighty, till next time team, bye.